For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. On this podcast, we're talking about New York's financial plan, the state budget, and our revenue system, which is proving to be unfair and unreliable. The state is dealing with a $6 billion budget gap with a spending cap of 2%. So the question becomes, what will be cut or what are the revenue options? And income inequality, the gap between the 1% and the rest of us, is widening at a much faster rate here in New York State compared to the rest of the country. So how do we address that? To break all this down, we have Ron Deutsch and Jonas Scheinda here in the studio with us. Ron is the executive director of the Fiscal Policy Institute, and Jonas is the chief economist at FPI, which is an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit research and education organization. So Ron and Jonas, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. So every year, FPI breaks down the proposed state budget, and this year marks the 30th budget briefing, I believe. Here, folks, um, and really appreciate everybody coming. I want to talk a little bit about the format for today. It's going to be a little bit different. We're trying to mix things up a little bit. Ron, Uh, have you done most of those briefings? Uh, No, you know, I've been at the helm of FPI uh, since 2014, um, but I've probably attended at least 80% of uh, the last 30 um, annual budget briefings. So yeah, been around for a while here. And I was there on Wednesday and uh, it was it was interesting doing a little bit different with the panel this mm-hmm. year. I thought that was very helpful. So um, here in New York State, fair to say our economy is in a good place? What do you think, Jonas? It's been going strong uh, for a while since the, the, the Great Recession. Uh, now, the recovery, of course, has been uh, very sluggish, and uh, it took a very long time, and the signs of the uh, approaching recession uh, have been appearing and disappearing and reappearing again, uh, but so far, so good. Uh, we are doing much better. The median income uh, has been increasing, uh, both nationally and especially in the United States, and uh, the median income in uh, in New York uh, has been increasing at a faster rate than uh, at the national level. So uh, so we're doing well. And in fact, uh, some some New Yorkers are doing uh, much better than, uh, than the rest. We mm-hmm. have a very tremendous uh, increase in the numbers of millionaires uh, since uh, the dip uh, in incomes during the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. And, uh, and so far, uh, these numbers are just... Uh, Stellar. So if we're doing well, if the economy is doing well, shouldn't we be enjoying a healthy budget year? One would think, right? Uh, but unfortunately, we're living under the state's uh, state spending cap, uh, which is uh, an arbitrary cap that the governor insists on each year. Uh, it's not in statute. It's not in law. But yet the legislature continues to go along with this year after year. So that's really been one of our big advocacy points uh, over the last few years is to to really um, get the legislature to reject the governor or abandon the governor's state spending cap. You know, I mean, the reality is the governor introduces a budget um, and he said spending at one point nine percent. So really, you know, that leaves the legislature one tenth of a percent 
uh, to add on to that. So, you know, one has to wonder, you know, what do we even need a legislature for if they're not going to have any control over the spending that that's in this budget? And you made that point at the assembly hearing this month about the spending cap, Ron, and then and the legislature not having that wiggle so room. I would suggest we do have this spending problem and we need to correct it. Um, we can no longer continue to operate under this these austerity measures and this scarcity. So mindset. why wouldn't they want to do away with that? Do you, you know, I think part of the problem is that, the you know, the way the budget is structured and the budget process is structured in New York, the governor really kind of uh, has the best hand in this deck of cards uh, and he really has a lot of the control. Um, but, you know, the legislature can push back on this. And, and it really they haven't in, in the last decade. Um, they've been going along with this. Right. So, um, you know, my hope is that we'll reject this kind of austerity mindset that's been created by the governor. Um, you know, revenues have been coming in stronger, which is what we're using to close some of this budget gap. Um, but the reality is that this cap has really had a detrimental impact, particularly on human service spending uh, over the last 10 years. So um, one of the problems we see is that the fact that, you know, when when you're capping the state operating budget, education and healthcare mm -hmm. account for half of the budget outlays right. on the state operating side. So and they go up three, four, five, six percent respectively. And that's a good thing. Right. We need more mm -hmm. money for education. We need more money for healthcare. But that means everything else has to go down. Um, so human services has really kind of taken the bath uh, in this. So, um, you know, we need to address this and we really should be addressing it this year. So that's one of the proposals, one of the revenue options that FPI has out there. You have several out there, right? I wanted to talk about some of the other ones. Um, one other issue that uh, you'd like to see or one other option would be um, the way we tax the wealthiest uh, New Yorkers. And Jonas, you were just talking about that a minute ago with how much better the wealthy are doing in New York State. Talk to me a little bit about that proposal. Well, that proposal uh, deals with the unrealized uh, capital gains. Uh, the way this uh, the system exists now, we tax uh, capital gains upon um, uh, realization, meaning uh, when the assets are sold or bought. So that means that it allows uh, the people who own the assets, uh, it, it, it allows them to time when they're going to do that. Uh, and in that way, they optimize their, uh, their, their taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not available to anyone else. Right? So if, uh, if a person is getting a paycheck, uh, that person pays taxes on that income right there and, and right then. And so uh, this means that the system is a little bit unfair uh, towards uh, the regular uh, people. So our, our uh, proposal is to mark uh, to market uh, all the uh, all the assets uh, above uh, a very significant uh, a threshold and uh, and tax capital gains as they happen, uh, not uh, when the assets are sold. That is going to allow us to, uh, to uh, to raise a significant uh, new revenue. Do you have an estimate of what that would be? Well, it depends on the structure, uh, and uh, at this point, uh, you know there are various possibilities of how to do that. Uh, and so, uh, we're talking about uh, many, many billions of dollars. Okay, and then so I don't really understand how that would work. Would that be on an annual basis that they would have to report that? Yes, of course. So they would report uh, under this uh, proposal. They would re report uh, changes in 
uh, in the market value of their assets. And on that uh, change, uh, we would apply uh, a small tax. Okay. Um, all right. So what about enhance uh, the millionaire's tax? Did you want to jump in on that, Ron? Um, yeah. You know, I, I think uh, one of the other things that we've been pushing for years and the assembly is included in their one house budget for years uh, is this notion of an enhanced millionaire's tax or what we were calling now the ultra millionaire's tax. Right. Because since 2009 in the Great Recession, Governor Patterson put in a surcharge on upper income earners. Uh, and that's been in place in some way, shape or form. Uh, since then. Um, and what we're saying is, you know, so the top rate now is paid by, you know, single individuals at a million dollars married uh, at around two million dollars. And that's at an 8.82 percent rate. Mm. Um, what we're saying is we should add additional brackets at the top level. So for folks making over five million dollars, 10 million dollars, 100 million dollars a year. And, and mind you, this, this is not bit. net worth we're talking about. This right. is what people make on an annual mm -hmm. basis, right? What they're earning in, from income. So it's a really, you know, I mean, this is the the top uh, echelon of the 1%, really. So, you know, depending on how you structure that type of income tax, um, you can raise anywhere from two to four and a half or more billion dollars uh, per year. And I think, you know, that's a, a fair tax. And, you know, we're, the governor likes to say, you know, we're one of the, we are the progressive beacon in, in uh, here in New York. Uh, and if we are that progressive beacon, we should really have a much more progressive income tax structure. And I know in past years, you've had millionaires come out. I don't know if they have this year. I know they yeah. did last year where, where they're saying, yeah, we're millionaires and we're telling you we think this is a good idea. Yeah, we, we've seen it year after year. Right? We, we've had a partnership with Patriotic Millionaires with a group called Responsible Wealth. Um, you know, we've had 100 millionaires sign letters to the governor and legislative leaders 100. yeah, saying nice. tax us more, mm -hmm. um, you know, because, you know, they know that when you live in uh, a civil society, that taxes are one of the prices that you pay. And they also realize, thankfully, um, that, you know, society helped them get to where they are. Right. If they own big businesses. Um, you know, society educated their workforce for them. Well, that's society, a refreshing right, outlook. <laughs> provides their roads and bridges so that they can get their goods and services to market. Um, you know, these are important things that have helped them succeed. So they in turn feel like they should be giving back as well. So they know that a tax increase like this is not going to have any impact on their quality of life. Um, you know, I often joke uh, that, you know, you know, what do you call someone uh, what do you call a billionaire who pays a 2% tax on their wealth? Well, you call them a billionaire because they're still going <laughs> to be a billionaire. Right? right. So, you know, this is not going to hurt anybody's financial situation. Um, they're still going to have more money than they can possibly spend pretty much. So, um, you know, I, I can't see why we wouldn't move in this direction. And are they activated and and uh, on? I know they're on board, but are they involved this year again, trying to make that happen? Yeah, absolutely. They're Good. involved this year. They were involved last year, um, and I'm sure they'll be involved in future years as well. So, what about the Pied-à-Terre? Did I say it right? Tax. Uh, the Pied-à-Terre tax. You say uh, it much better. <laughs> Tell, us. <laughs> uh, Tell yes. us about that. And yet, I am not French. Um, <laughs> Uh, so well, that's the tax. Uh, so the pied-à-terre in French is uh, is a foot on the on the ground. So uh, so, so these are inessential uh, properties, uh, so so to speak, uh, for people who travel a lot or they want to kind of maintain uh, a residence uh, at a place where they uh, visit occasionally uh, for vacation, for business, uh, etc. 
And so these are non-primary residences, and, and we have a lot of them uh, in, uh, in the city of New York uh, that are not used uh, for, uh, as, as primary you know, places of, uh, you know, as, as primary residences, but, uh, but they are very uh, luxurious and very e expensive. And so mm -hmm. uh, we want to uh, tax them and, uh, and use that money for, uh, uh, for you know, solving all sorts of problems that we have from homelessness to transportation issues, et cetera. Right. So what do you mean like tax them? I mean, obviously they're taxed already, but right. put like an additional tax depending on the value of the Put the, the additional homes? tax uh, on properties above uh, $5 million uh, of market value. If uh, it's a second home. If it's a second home. If it's, a, if it's not, uh, well, second or, or third or fifth, uh, okay. if it's not a primary a residence. Okay. Any idea what that would generate? That, that would generate, uh, depending on uh, on the market conditions and on the volatility that is involved, uh, anywhere uh, between four hundred and uh, seven hundred million dollars of new revenue per year. So I want to talk a little bit about the Heart poll that just came mm -hmm. out uh, by Heart Research poll, um, because I know Ron, you touched on this at your testimony before the assembly too. Um, what did that poll look at, first of all? And then let's talk about what it found. Right. So the poll looked at, at three different types of taxes. One was the billionaire's tax, right, a 2% tax on um, billionaire's wealth. The other was the ultra-millionaire's tax, which I just described. And then the third was the, pardon my French, the pied-à-terre tax. So, um, you know, all three of these that we just ran through here uh, have an uh, overwhelming support from the public. I mean, whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, I mean, the numbers were really staggering to me. I was shocked, quite frankly. 90% um, of the public supports these three measures um, individually. And then actually 90% also supported doing all three of these together. Welcome back to Capitol Tonight. I'm Susan Arbetter. This was a group of protesters outside one of the budget hearings at the Capitol today calling on the wealthy to pay their fair share of taxes. Um, so I think, Advocates you know, the public really gets the fact and they understand um, whether they understand the economics of it or not. But they they inherently understand that the wealthy are not paying their fair share in taxes and that they should. So one of the other things in the poll that I found particularly striking, 72 percent of the people in this poll said that they would be more likely to vote for a senator or assembly member that supported all three of these measures. OK. Um, are there any other issues that you're any other? I know you have other revenue options. Any other big ones out there that you think people should be aware of that could raise a significant amount of money? You know, I, I guess I would talk about um, one in particular is called the stock transfer tax. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a tax that was actually in place um, between 1905 and 1980. And then and somewhere around 1980, a lot of the Wall Street uh, brokers got together and started lobbying Albany. Uh, and lo and behold, Albany succumbed to that pressure uh, and decided to start rebating um, back this this tax that we collect. And, and this is really a tiny half a percent tax on um, stock transactions. Mm -hmm. um, but given the volume of trading on the stock exchange, um, it generates some $13 billion a year. So despite the fact that we've been rebating it since the early 80s, we still have it on the books. So we collect it and then rebate it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think people, every time I talk about this, people are just flabbergasted. Shaking but, hands. Right, because it's like, you know, hey, I go to the store, I buy something, I have to pay a tax on it. Um, but for some reason, you know, when you do, when you sell or transfer stock, 
you're not paying a tax mm-hmm. on it. It seems like, you know, uh, what, what's, what, what the average person is dealing with in terms of sales taxation, um, you know, wealthy people should also be a subject to. And a significant amount of money there, you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking like $13 billion a year if you don't rebate, uh, you know, any of it. Um, well, I think but that would more bills, than solve the problem. Right, well, <laughs> there's bills out there that, uh, you know, I think, you know, rebate 40% of it mm-hmm. or 60% of it um, to generate billions of dollars in new revenue that we desperately need to meet many of the unmet needs in this state that um, have resulted as uh, or have come to pass as a result of the tax cap that's been put in place or the, the, the spending, the spending cap. cap. And what about the argument, though, from some that we always hear about um, that the wealthy will end up leaving New York state if if your revenue options were to take place? That's the threat, right? Uh, that is a, uh, it's a very significant threat uh, uh, when the uh, when the critics uh, use incorrect numbers or faulty logic. And don't use uh, the the data. Now, the data, of course, uh, speaks f- for itself. Uh, when the when the millionaire tax was implemented uh, in two thousand and nine, we had about twenty eight thousand millionaires. Well, the, the taxpayers with one million uh, dollar tax returns. And in two thousand seventeen, that's the latest data we have. We had fifty. Three percent. So that's an increase of eighty-nine percent. So fifty-three. Oh, fifty-three thousand. So from twenty-eight thousand, I think you said to fifty-three thousand. To fifty-three thousand. Wow. That's, that's eighty-nine percent growth in yeah. the number of those. Uh, uh, so know, they didn't top leave. Returns. They so didn't far. leave, and and actually, they're doing quite well because their uh, total income increased uh, from one hundred and four billion dollars in uh, two thousand and nine to two hundred and twenty-one billion dollars. In 2017, so that's that's more than uh, double. Uh, so they're not le- leaving as a mm-hmm. result uh, of of the tax that was specifically designed uh, to tax them as a category of income earners. So th- so the response is not is not quite there. Now also, New York is a very dynamic uh, place economically. It's a place uh, where uh, you know millions are made. All right, and 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 lost sometimes, but also made. And so, if some mil- if some millionaires will leave, then some new will emerge, and new will come to uh, to the city uh, because that's where uh, the you know the workforce is. That's mm-hmm. where the opportunities are. That's where the financial sector is. That's where they succeed, uh, and uh, and that's where the market is mm-hmm. for a lot of the products that uh, that they uh, that they want to sell. And so uh, the argument is not quite uh, not quite uh, coherent uh, if if especially you consider uh, that raising taxes uh, you know is uh, for uh, you know for paying for the services that uh, that uh, that we need in the state and those services uh, they benefit uh, they benefit the the wealthy as well, I mean, if we talk about, let's say, expensive real estate, it is expensive because there's a, a lot of economic activity and cultural life that that happens around those properties, mm-hmm. and so uh, they shore it up. Uh, you can build a very fancy-looking tower in the middle of nowhere in, in the desert, uh, and uh, and the value is not going to be uh, comparable to the you know to the properties in the middle of Manhattan. So, right. so what happens around the property? What happens around the person? Uh, very much matters. Now, some, of course, might leave 
uh, for these kinds of reasons, or maybe the weather is better uh, somewhere else, uh, you know. But uh, the weather's definitely better somewhere else, I'm sure. <laughs> but that's but of not course, everything. but of course, it's not everything. And uh, and 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 most studies on the uh, on the subject of millionaire migration that uh, that uh, you know that were done uh, recently, at least, uh, they suggest that uh, that the uh, increase in uh, in revenue is still significant. So that means after uh, the taxes on the wealthy are raised, they stay and pay some leave, but those who stay and pay increase the total amount of revenues, and that is uh, what we're looking for. Okay, very good. Um, any other final thoughts, Ron? Yeah, I would say, you know, one of the reasons we're um, asking the legislature to tax those at the very top, you know, I mean, as you pointed out in the, the top of the show, um, you know, we have the greatest income inequality of any state in the nation. Um, you know, the top 1% in New York are getting about 31 to 33% of all the income that's generated. Um, if you look at New York City, it's even more stark. They're getting about 40% of all the income. Um, so, you know, there's room for asking those at the very top who've seen all the income gains over the last few decades uh, to pay a little bit more. And we think that some of that money should be used to provide tax relief to those folks at the bottom of the economic uh, ladder. Mm -hmm. um, so things like the earned income tax credit and the Empire State Child Credit and to the governor's credit, he's, he's looked at expanding the Empire State Child Credit. Um, but we haven't expanded the earned income tax credit since George Pataki was governor. Uh, and actually, in his uh, uh, terms as governor, he increased the earned income tax credit more than any other governor in New York's history. So, um, you know, for our self-proclaimed progressive governor uh, to talk about, um, you know, taxes, I, I think he needs to really be uh, giving a serious look to providing tax relief to those at the bottom. Because, you know, who's leaving New York, right? I, mm -hmm. I think People who are in search of economic opportunity are the ones that are leaving New York, right? The millionaires and billionaires have found their economic opportunity and they're quite content. Right here, um, right. Right. So, but low income people in particular, they don't even have the funds to leave New York. Um, you know, moving is expensive mm -hmm. and finding a new place to live and whatnot. So I think we need to do a better job of providing tax relief to those at the bottom. Uh, and that in turn actually helps communities as well. Uh, by an infusion of capital uh, and spending power um, for lower income people, right? I mean, you know, low income people aren't parking their money in the Cayman Islands and sheltering it there. They are spending it in our local communities, and that is good for the economy and good for the state. Okay, very good. And so we're working with FPI, the New York State AFL-CIO is, on several of the revenue options. How can our listeners get involved and help advance this uh, agenda. I know that you're out there testifying. You're meeting with lawmakers. I, I know NYSIT, uh, the New York State United Teachers, has is, is just launched an ad campaign talking about some of this. What else can folks do? Yeah, there's a New York budget justice campaign that people can get involved with. You can go to our website at fiscalpolicy.org uh, and check out the information that's there. But I think people really need to be talking to their legislators and saying, you know, we need to ask the wealthy to pay a little bit more uh, so that we can have a, a sound basic education for our children, so that we can end homelessness in New York, so that we can provide health care to the people that desperately need it, so that we can address the astronomical child poverty rates in many of our cities. I mean, 
you know, Buffalo, Rochester. I mean, you have 50 percent, half of the kids living in poverty in those cities. And that, that is shameful and unconscionable in a state as wealthy as ours. Um, so, you know, I, I think we really need to kind of change the paradigm uh, in New York, change the narrative uh, and really start uh, fixing our upside down tax system. Okay, very good. Well, Ron Deutsch and Jonas Scheinda from the Fiscal Policy Institute, thank you very much for being on the Union Strong uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Joining me now on the podcast is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. So I guess we learned from that the uh, millionaires and billionaires are doing pretty well in New York State. Yeah, and they're not leaving. Like uh, we've heard, you know, a, a hundred times in the past when mm-hmm. we passed the millionaires tax and, and other revenue uh, enhancers that the millionaires are going to leave New York State, and they're not. They're not leaving in droves. We've had an increase in millionaires. And maybe the only one that we did have leave recently was Donald Trump. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. (laughs) And so to find out more about what the Fiscal Policy Institute, uh, their revenue options, what they're out there advocating for, you can go onto their website. If you just search Fiscal Policy Institute New York State, that will come up. And I know um, you've posted our legislative agenda on our website so people can find out what the New York State AFL-CIO is out there encouraging as well, which are many of the points that we just discussed. Yeah, if you go to our website, look under uh, legislation, you can see the Uh, budget breakdown that we have and a lot of things that we're working on. All right. Great. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Darcy. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State unions strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.